Are you actively listening to the problems of the people around you? Are you trying to solve them really? You don't know how? Well, welcome to today's podcast episode where I interview Stacy Keogh. She's the founder of Brand Elective, the author of the number one bestseller, Get Online, and the podcast host of the Get Online podcast. We talked about a lot of stuff, guys. Which it spanned from ideas to active listening to self-education to the to the different hustle culture that are forming in social media and even much much more. Uh, I hope you're going to get a lot of value from this. I sure did. And remember, guys, always be learning, always be fighting, and just oh, always improve yourself every single day. And in today's episode, I hope me and Stacy are going to help you start that journey. She's just an awesome person to interview, and I hope you'll get a lot of value from it. Thank you for listening to the Pattern to Genius podcast, and we are just coming it hard, guys. We're never going to stop. More interviews are coming, so please make sure to hit that subscribe button and really just focus on your mind and grow it to insurmountable measures. Thank you for being a listener to the Pattern to Genius podcast. Friday and okay we're recording so stacy i want to say a huge welcome to the pattern to genius podcast i'm super excited to have you here and so i guess we should start with a pretty specific question uh i'm gonna i'm gonna be honest i just want to talk about that really because you're not supposed to talk about that with um so what do you think it takes to create a good idea where do ideas flow how can we make our environment suited for ideas Hmm. Well, firstly, welcome. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm really excited to be here speaking with you today. Um, I think in terms of ideas, it depends on, I guess, what it is that you're trying to do, whether it's a business idea, whether it's solving some kind of challenge or problem. But I think the best way to come up with new concepts, new ideas is actually through firstly listening to whoever the audience is or the people around you to common challenges and common problems that they have. Because if people can articulate a challenge or a problem, then what you can be doing is spending time listening to that and considering and thinking and brainstorming, how can I solve this problem? How can I help this person to overcome it? And I think rather than um worrying about whether that's possible (laughs) it's using i guess a bit more of a creative mindset which is i like to ask the question imagine if something so you can just imagine something to your wildest you know fantasies you know end result don't worry about how it's possible but if you're listening to a problem and then you just said imagine if we could solve this by doing X. That is a really, really nice place to start with just opening up the mind to think of all the different ways that you could be, you know, coming up with a new idea. Mm, so really just letting our creativity flow, even if it's like, it's totally like, I wouldn't say delusional because that's not the right word, but like totally crazy. Just fantasize well, basically. Yeah. I agree. I think, you know, be crazy and do fantasize. You know, I think, um, I mean, it sounds really sort of old school and sort of typical way of brainstorming, but getting, you know, a massive sheet of paper, getting a whiteboard and just dumping ideas, 
So whatever it is that you're trying to solve or create, just let it all out, put it up there. Don't worry about how crazy it is. And actually when I um, do these sorts of exercises with teams or with, within my business, I will often say ahead of a session like that, please don't laugh at each other's ideas. Please don't like make comments on what comes out because actually some of the stuff that you, you know, sniffle about or think sounds ridiculous can often lead to somebody else coming up with something that's even a little wackier, but actually the solution to what we're looking for. So I think it's just good to get it all out on paper. And then of course you can go back through and be logical about it. And you can kind of like cross out, you know, what doesn't work and what's not a solution. But I think if you try to, um, I guess if you try to control too much of the ideas that are coming out by hindering them, by putting barriers in place, then actually you could miss a really incredible idea. And how did you came up with all of this? Who taught you that? Or did you did you thought that did you find out find out about this concept yourself? What's the story behind it? Yeah. It's um, a really good question. I don't know. I think, you know, I I I own a digital marketing agency but I'm not traditionally trained, right? So I didn't do the usual route with academia. Um, I wasn't very good at school. Um, I always had a bit of a, I guess, I, would, I wouldn't even say business mind. I think it was more of a logical mind. So for me, um, I guess how I started to kind of come up with this is the best way to initiate solving a challenge or a problem actually came through my own experience of firstly, redundancies. So actually after working um, in the city of London for sort of, I had about eight years work experience, I actually suffered three redundancies in a row, which led to me wanting to start on my own. I didn't know how to do marketing at the time, but I knew I wanted to solve a problem. And all I did was listen to the businesses around me that were having challenges, that were having problems with the marketing agencies that they worked with with the web developers that they worked with, all of these big challenges and problems they had. And I was like, actually, if I could create something that helped to solve these problems and challenges, and I didn't do the same mistakes <laughs> that a lot of these other agencies had done, then actually that's a really, really um, beneficial type of offering for these types of businesses. So long story short, I guess to answer your question, the way that I came up with the concept of just letting things flow and, you know, pushing crazy and wacky ideas out there just comes from, okay, listen to the, listen to the challenge or the problem, create the solution. And actually you can teach yourself anything, you know, there's a lot of ways to educate yourself. Um, or there's a lot of ways that you can partner with other individuals, with other businesses, with other creatives to help to solve that problem. It's not necessarily something you have to self-teach. You know, some people run extraordinarily um, amazing businesses through coming up with the idea, but then actually partnering with somebody else to do the delivery and actually solve the problem. What do you think is the best way to self-educate ourselves in today's world? I'm going to annoy you with this answer, but honestly, it is just listening. <laughs> I think if you can just listen and really understand the challenge or problem, then you figure out a way. So obviously, it, you know, it's going to totally depend on different industries or whatever it might be, but sometimes not coming a traditional route 
through things. I was actually talking to another agency owner about this the other day, where I was sort of saying to her, you know, oh, I haven't come a traditional, I haven't been, because I haven't been traditionally trained, for example, in my field, which is marketing. I'm not traditionally trained. I didn't do my degree in that. I didn't learn the processes the way that you're supposed to learn the processes. I actually learned from doing. So again, I come back to listen, right? If you listen to the challenge or the problem, and then you just react on that and you just find a solution. And, you know, it, again, it totally depends on what the challenge or problem is or what it is that you're trying to create. Everything from the way that I self-taught was things like watching YouTube videos, was having conversations with other people that are in the same field that have had that experience, um, listening more to customers, you know, listening on social media, doing some searches to find out how are other people solving this problem? Um, what are the other big pet peeves or hates or what are people getting really worked up about because if you create i'm talking specifically about a business here i guess now if you create a business or you create a concept or methodology based on how you think something should be rather than listening to the audience listening to the actual customer then it's never going to succeed and when you were starting out, let's circle back around it. So when you were starting out, how did you start listening to the people? Like, did you start by watching the YouTube videos? Or did you have like a friend who introduced you to some people? Like, how did that happen? So at the time I was working, um, I was self-employed. And so I'd, I'd had three job losses, so three redundancies. This was during the, the recession, 2007, 2008. Um, and... So I ended up being self-employed. I was doing sales. Uh, I worked for a sales agency and this was an only door-to-door -door sales job. Um, so I was only paid for obviously the work that I, the sales that I did, for example. And one thing I love, I sort of, obviously it's a really challenging job, but one thing I loved about it is you get to understand people really well very quickly right because you have the negative of people slamming a door in your face and screaming and swearing at you but then you also have people that welcome you into their homes and tell you their amazing backstories and tell you the challenges and problems that they have you know inside their homes or with their families or whatever so it, it really is just listening and so for me it was kind of doing that and realizing there's opportunities to create something else so for me, it started off by reading some books, as I say, just Googling, finding some YouTube channels that taught me how to do things like build a website, um, that taught me more about social, uh, talked to me about mo uh, marketing pro processes, etc. And then just really getting in, attending networking events and talking to people, you know, because uh, there's something really real about getting in, in the same room as someone face to face and really listening to what is, you know, what do they need? How do you, how can you possibly help them? If you can truly understand that, then you can find a way to sell them something really. <laughs> um, whereas I think sometimes if you rely completely, and I'm a big advocate of social, obviously, because I run a digital agency, but um, if we rely completely on activity across social, then sometimes we can, the people that are talking about it the loudest aren't necessarily the people that are actually going to purchase the product. So it's really, really important to actually speak to consumers or actually speak to the person who has the challenge. Um, and as I say, really annoying to keep repeating myself, but like, listen, like the more that you, I listen every single day, I'm listening to customers all the time. 
And if there's a way that we can improve what we're offering or what we're doing, then why not? Right? And how do you make sure you listen, you listen productively and not like just letting words flow from one year to the other? Yeah, <laughs> that's um, <laughs> exactly. So active listening, right? Um, which is essentially that you are not just listening for an opportunity to talk, right? So it's not like, oh, he said this word. So actually now I can pitch him on this or tell him this. Um, it's listening to and repeating back. So I think, you know, if you're telling me, okay, here's this challenge that I have in my life, or here's this challenge that I have in this business or dealing with this customer, whatever, the, whatever it is, then if I can repeat that back to them. So I'm like, okay, so I'm trying to think of an example. Um, so, okay, I've got a, a friend of mine who is actually setting up a academy to teach teachers how to start a business. So a lot of teachers get frustrated that they you know, can only go so far in, turn of, in terms of their earning potential. Um, they kind of get stuck in the job for like long periods of time. There's not a lot of financial reward. So she's setting up this academy where she will teach teachers how to start a business so that they can you know, build an income outside of their teaching. They can still do teaching if they love it, but at least they also have this other source of revenue to actually you know, build a, a, a good you know, a better life for themselves, I suppose. And so for her, it's like, she said to me, okay, the challenge is how do we actually get in front of teachers? Because, you know, it's difficult. They don't necessarily want to admit that they're not happy in their jobs or whatever. And I said, okay, well, the, the easiest way to do this is running some kind of survey. So you want to go out to sample some of these teachers that you know, you want to ask them what you know, platforms do they use online or what, you know, so do they use, do they watch YouTube? Do they watch are they Twitter? Are they using Instagram? Like what are they using online? And then equally, what are some other things that they're doing? Are they attending a local event? Are they participating in some kind of government organization? Figure out where they are. Then you can actually get in front of them and talk to them about the challenges and problems send out a survey to them to understand what the challenges and problems are. So it's more, again, I come back to listening, but I guess your question is like, how do you make sure that you're active listening? It's, it's really just trying to repeat back what the problem is that they've told you that the problem, and then turning that into something that actually is valuable to them or beneficial to them. Because listening is great, but actually if you don't act on it, then, <laughs> then what's the point, right? Hmm. So uh, I guess we should really talk more about how you do the research on your audience because the AI is going to take listening really, but for someone yeah. who's just starting out and, you know, for example, they've determined that the target demographic is like 20 to 25 year olds. Mm -hmm. um, they're in your space, right? Like digital marketing. I don't know what product they have or anything like that or the SaaS or anything, but like for people that don't have customers, how do they start listening to, to people without actually having them in their email list or in their contacts? How will they start listening to them when they're just starting out? That's actually a really common question because if you don't have any customers yet, it's like, how do you even know what to do? So um, I guess, again, the, the type of business will, will make, you know, there'll be a lot of variables depending on the type of business. Um, for me as a marketer, the way that we always want to start our research is by identifying who the customer is. 
And you may have heard this before, but you know, completing a customer avatar or a customer profile so that you know how to do your targeting. Now, I will always tell clients, it's really important that this is a real person. We don't just want to fill in an avatar. So an avatar asks things like, okay, is, you know, what is the demographic in terms of male, female? Is this, where's the location? What's the age group? Um, what kind of level of education do they have? Um, it will ask what their goals, their ambitions are. Um, it will ask, who, are they the main decision maker or is there someone else who actually helps them to make purchase decisions? Um, it'll ask the sources of information. So, you know, what books do they read? What magazines do they subscribe to? Which YouTube channels do they subscribe to? What events do they attend? Conferences? Which gurus and influencers do they follow? Um, it'll ask challenges and problems and pain points. <laughs> um, the more that you can understand about that person, the better. But what I will always tell a client is that you have to base that on a real person. Because if I just give you a little questionnaire and you just fill it in, you're going to create your dream person, like your dream customer. And for anyone that's been in business long enough, we know that that probably doesn't really exist. <laughs> so, um, you know, you, you do want to be basing this on a real person. So if you've done a sale of anything, use that person as your avatar. If you have not done any sales, you have no customers yet, then you just need to identify someone who is very likely to make two purchase from you and you use them as your, as your blueprint. And that's the best place to start. Um, Cause you've got to start somewhere. And then you obviously, as you grow and as you do more sales, then you can revisit it and create a better avatar that matches exactly the right demographic. So in creating that avatar, you know, the realistic avatar, um, can we, uh, how they say, can, can, can an analysis paralysis happen? Like, can we just get into too much detail when we do it? Well, yeah, I think you're right. In some cases, people can get bogged down in the detail. I would say you can never know enough. I don't think you can ever know enough about your customer because everything you learn about them is a, is a content opportunity. But I can give you an example of this is, I did this, I try to do new avatars for my business every six months. So the way that I do this is I choose my top five clients and I just build out a profile for them so that I can identify things about them so I can find more of them, right? Now, I did this uh, about a year ago and I realized of those five customers that I profiled, four of them were subscribing to a golf magazine. Now, I'm a digital marketing agency. It would never occur to me to do any kind of advertising in a golf magazine. But just doing that exercise then suggested to me like, okay, if my five top clients, like top paying clients, they pay on time, they're great to work with, we love their businesses, are all subscribing to this one magazine, maybe there's an advertising opportunity there for me or a retargeting opportunity there for me. To, for people that subscribe to this because they're obviously in the right demographic. So I think there's never, I don't think you can ever know enough <laughs> about your customers. Um, the more detail you can collect, the better that your profiling can be and the better your targeting becomes. 
have you used that concept in, our, in other areas of your life? Like you, you can never know enough, for example, do you still read and consume content that, not consume, that's not the right word, but like, do you learn every day by reading or like still watching the videos or you just strictly like focused on the customer based experience? Like, do you still learn every day? hundred percent. Yeah. You have to keep learning. Like otherwise you get stuck right? and you don't progress. I think you, you know, we're lifelong learners. I don't think we should ever stop before getting on this recording with you. I've been watching a YouTube video, trying to just trying to educate myself on whether we should switch from, you know, restream to StreamYard, for example, for all of our live video content. So, you know, you've got to keep continuing to learn from people around you. It's not something that I think, I think as soon as you stop doing that, you, you become stagnant and you become irrelevant. So I'm a lifelong learner, massive podcast advocate. I subscribe to a lot of podcasts. I read a lot of books. I talk to a lot of people and I'm always just listening to what's going to happen next, you know, because you've got to, you've got to stay active and you've got to stay listening to, to really the direction people are moving into, especially through the current pandemic, right? Like we've all just come out of lockdown, depending on, you know, where you are in the world, but the way that consumers behave and the way that we purchase things has changed. The way that we want to interact with other people has changed. So if I was not to evolve my business at all off the back of this, then I'm probably going to fail. So I think it's important. You've got to keep learning. So, um, so how do you make sure that you remember what you learn? You know, because the human mind has uh, limits at the end. So do you keep notes? Do you do voice memos? How do you make sure that you remember what you've learned? That's a really good question because yeah, your mind gets a little full sometimes. Right. And I think you made a, you were about to make an excellent point earlier. I think about consuming versus like, um, and one thing that, you know, any kind of mentor will teach, uh, you know, any teach those that they're meant, they're, they're mentoring is that you actually want to create more than you assume. Um, so while we want to consume, so we're learning, you still want to be creating more than you're consuming. Cause otherwise we get stuck, right? If we just consume everything, but we don't actually do stuff, then nothing moves forward. So I think taking action is really important, but I think, uh, the key thing for me in terms of retaining information is usually teaching it back or talking to somebody about it. So I guess I own a business, so I have a team that work with me. So if, for example, I learn something new, um, that I think is really relevant for the business and for those working with me to know, then I will teach it back. So we do a weekly uh, roundup call with the whole team and we just do a 15 minute like um, topic and we'll, I'll just usually talk about something that I've learned. So it, it could be a piece of technology. It could be just a conversation that I had with a customer or a client that I think actually that was a really, we should be thinking about this more. This is something we should be acting on. Um, it's really, really mixed and diverse, but the, the easiest way for me to retain information is always by sharing it with others, because if I listen to it or I watch it, it sticks with me a lot more if I can say it back to someone or I can teach it back. You know, that is so interesting because it's, it's the complete opposite of what most Instagram um, motivational pages say, you know, at least from what I've seen. You know, most of them say that you should always be taking action, stuff like that, which is great, right? That you, you can't go without it. We're not passive animals. We have to take action. But 
yeah. we, we miss that, like you said before, that we need to be constantly be learning. So I guess I should ask you that, why is that paradox happening on social media particularly? Because there are two camps, right? One of them, the 24-7 hustlers that don't know shit, excuse my language, <laughs> that, that, you know, that are just stagnating because they don't want to improve. And then there is the passive consumers that just watch self-help motivation all day. So why is that paradox happening in your opinion? Well, I don't know. I think um, you'll always get different types of people, right? You're always going to have people who will just watch, consume, try to learn, and don't actually ever take action. I've seen there, there are a lot of those type of people. Like if, if I had to split the world population, I would say that probably 80% of people are very much that they get kind of paralyzed. They're either paralyzed by fear of taking action or fear of what will happen. So they don't ever do anything or they are just lazy. <laughs> in my opinion, I think that's probably a reality. And then I think the other, you let's say 20%, I'm just making up these numbers, but it's just, you know, my personal view are people, it kind of gets split into two things. One is you get those, I guess the hustler, right? Which you've kind of, you've kind of mentioned, I think we have to be careful, right? Because there will be the type of people who don't, and I, I know people like this, I've met them, I've seen them, where they don't actually achieve anything, they're just hustling, and I, I was about to say scamming, that's not exactly true, but you know, they are, uh, they, they're just kind of like, I guess trying to teach people how to like work hard, like work hard, play hard, like hustle now, like get rewards later, all that kind of stuff, which I, you know, I think it's really, really important to work hard, but I also would like to call some of those people out and actually, what have you actually achieved? <laughs> How do you know this? Uh, because I definitely have met people like that who have that kind of attitude, run those Instagram pages. And actually when you get behind the scenes and you look at the type of business they have, there's not a lot there. There's not a lot to stand for, you know? So I think what you're looking for is that little slit in the middle, which is people have educated themselves. People are taking the action, doing it. Um, yes, they, you know, it's great that they're kind of promoting online. In my experience, though, the people who have a lot of business owners who are very, very successful don't have a lot of time to be hustling online to be talking about it repeatedly like they really really don't you know when you're a successful business owner you're speaking to your investors all the time you're speaking to your clients okay yeah you have a whole team of people behind the scenes that are doing things for you but you're busy you know like i know a lot of very successful investors they're not that prolific across any kind of social media they don't have the time and they don't need to because they're loaded <laughs> They have a lot of cash in the bank, so they don't have this need and this drive to want to be hustling online all the time. So, yeah, I think we have to be a little bit careful about it because it's hard to it's hard to, to know who's really real, who's really actually achieving great things, and who's just trying to trying to scam you out of buying a course. You know, you made a good point, like a great point, because hustling, you know, if you look at it, its history of the word itself, it's a slang word, right? Um, but it was used by mostly in the uh, 20th century as uh, another synonym for scamming, right? For uh, selling drugs, for being, uh, for scamming people, stuff like that. You know, mm -hmm. that, that's what hustling was back then. And really, I, didn't th I don't think it changed much, really, for, for now at least. 
so you're right, like the people who really earn a lot of cash, they don't have a time to show it off, right? I mean, th some of them may still show it off, but not on social media. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But you still yeah, vouch yeah. for it's having, not, yeah. It's not a hard and fast rule, but it's just kind of like one of those things that if someone's really at it all the time, it's, it's probably not that real in my experience. But you still vouch for people having some social presence, right? Like maybe they're going to build their brand with it or they need to produce content because we got to create more than consume. So what about that? So basically for people that are just starting out that are not in their 60s and just earning a lot of cash, they need to have social presence. So how do they start really? And what are yeah, the, the most common mistakes? Yeah. Okay. So... Well, I think there's a, there's a whole bunch of things that came into my mind as you said that. So a few things. One, I think social presence is extremely important for a brand, a high growth brand. So a brand that is planning on growing very significantly, right? Um, is social is the social presence important for a brand for somebody who's well established and actually isn't, you know isn't that concerned about legacy or future proofing? What are they trying to achieve? Maybe, maybe not, right? So I think it kind of depends on the type of person, the type of brand, uh, the type of business. Obviously, I'm a massive advocate of social and like having a presence, having a digital footprint because that's the business that I run. Um, but I think it comes down to value. Like if you're not providing value to the people that, you're, that are following you or it's not going to benefit either your business and the consumers that are following you in some way, then I don't think it's a good investment of time or resources. Um, I guess to answer the question about, you know, how do people get started? I think the key thing is, is just doing. <laughs> so it's, you know, identifying, and I guess a mistake that a lot of people will make is choosing the wrong platforms for their audience. So, we, you know, the first question I will always say or I'll ask is, who are your audience and where are they online? Because if the answer to that question is um, LinkedIn, but you personally just love Instagram, what my, what my experience is that a lot of people will choose the platforms they love versus the platform they actually, their customers are on. And that's the wrong thing to do, right? So you always want to go to, if, if your ambition is to grow an audience so that you can do business, then you want to go where the business is. I know that sounds really simple, but a lot of people make that mistake. Um, the other thing that I think is a mistake with building a social presence is going way too broad with your messaging. So not niching down enough and having clarity around what you're saying. And a lot of businesses, especially small businesses, they're really scared of this. They're really scared to say, you know, I just do this little tiny piece of the market. Um, but actually by doing that, by niche down as small as possible, you actually make your offer clear and more people actually purchase. Um, a really silly example of this is um, I, work, I work across three different sectors. I work across healthcare, tech, um, and and uh, property. I wrote a book in 2019. It's called Get Online, and it was targeted at the property sector because that is an industry that typically doesn't embrace digital. So I wrote this book. It's called Get Online: Six Simple Steps to Building a Digital Marketing Strategy for the Non-Tech Savvy. So that was specifically targeting non-tech savvy sort of property entrepreneurs. Uh, so I wrote that book. That's fine. That was good. 
However, since in the in the launch, we went became Amazon number one bestseller, all that kind of stuff. And actually, off the back of that, we signed six clients immediately. They were all tech businesses. So even though I have the title non-tech savvy <laughs> in the book, actually, it attracted tech because they're like, wow, you know how to make things really simple. And this is, and that's a challenge for our industry, right? As a tech industry, tech business, it's very difficult for general public to often understand what we do. So therefore it's still attracted the business. So anyway, the point is I didn't lose business because I used this narrow phrase of non-tech savvy. In fact, it had the opposite effect and we actually won business. So don't be afraid to niche down, like get your messaging really, really clear. Awesome. Does that answer that question? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and even build upon it. You know, that sounds really like something Joe Sugarman would say. So I really like it. He's an awesome <laughs> guy. Yeah. Right. You know, so basically you invoked curiosity. really. So isn't that like the strongest thing in marketing as a whole, like guilt, curiosity, you know, this stuff, like they basically persuade someone to just come in and just check it out. Even at least, you know, I, I'm not an expert, but that's what I uh, was taught when I just, you know, studied copywriting for a bit that guilt invoking curiosity and not guilt like in a bad way, but really just making the feel guilty for not checking out your product, like providing yeah. over delivering really. Uh, so anyway, um, Stacy, I'm going to leave a little opening here for you to share your contact info so people can connect with you on social and on email or websites, whatever. And then we're going to continue with our last question, but please share your contact info now. So the best way to contact me is probably on social media, to be honest, my two kind of favorite platforms would be LinkedIn and Instagram. So if you look up my name, Stacy Keo, that's about K-E-H-O-E. Um, or visit my agency website, which is brandlective.com. All right. So now, Stacey, I'm going to ask you, what's a quote or words or even like a whole book you live by that defines your idea, your ideal and your message? Is there something like that? Like a yeah, quote I am um, actually not, I'm not really great with quotes, but I do have a book that I love to recommend because I think it is amazing in terms of um, understanding business and getting very clear on how to position a business um, very successfully, which is called 24 Assets. And that is by Daniel Priestley. And essentially he walks through the 24 assets that your business must have to be sellable i guess which essentially means successful <laughs> if you're able to sell your business you know it's a success so um those 20 yeah 24 assets by daniel Priestley, i definitely recommend awesome so let me just write it out here in the show notes there we go um all right awesome stacy so uh i guess i thank you for that conversation so much because i really learned a lot i'm gonna be honest with you i hope the listeners learned a lot because i think we covered a lot of stuff here and thank you for coming on the show. We hope you're going to have a great week. Oh, thank you very much for the invitation. I appreciate it. All right. I'll see you soon. Goodbye.